encourage our children now. We're going to be going to junior worship ages three through third grade. And if you're new and you have children that age, just kind of follow the adults going in that direction with their kids. And the rest of you that are staying in here, let's take our Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. As you're turning in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4, I also want to remind you of a very important aspect of our worship offering, of our worship, and that is our offering to God. We are offering, we're giving you four opportunities to, to bring your worship to God in this way. You can mail a check to our church address. You can have an automatic draft arranged through your bank, which is not very complicated at all. You can go online to our website, and there is on our homepage, there is arranged a box that says give. It can't be as, as, it's just as easy as it can be. Follow the simple instructions. Or for those of you who are here in the auditorium this morning, appreciate a lot of folks that are out of town this morning, there is a box uh, right there on the table on the way out. You can place your contribution there. For those of you that aren't here who are with us live streaming, we are absolutely delighted to have you here. We are humbled and honored that you would stop in your day and, and join us in this way. You're just as much a part of, of this assembly and, and our family gathering. Listen, I just want to give a shout out to Mike Lopez and his two assistants, Michaela and Alexander. Yesterday, he was our foreman, and we had a group, if I didn't count, maybe 20 individuals, and it was hard, hot work. So if you see anybody with a suntan, it's not they were at the beach. They were outside doing some incredible work. It was a wonderful outreach to our neighbors, helping take down some trees and limbs, but it was also just a great family service event. You know, the Bible tells us that when you serve and give out from yourself, that's when you receive, that's when you grow. And so that's one of the greatest things you can do growing as a Christian is to, is to figure out, listen for opportunities here in our church serve. I have one for you right now I want to tell you about. We have the ch uh, communion at the tables, as Ted announced, and we have people who set the tables up, who bring the trays and put them on the tables. We do not have someone who says, you know what, I'll be in charge of taking these trays back to the kitchen, putting everything away in the way it's supposed to be done, folding up the tablecloths and putting the tables away. We don't have anybody for that even today. So if you'd like to do it even today, let me know and I'll give you quick instructions. Sarah is gone on vacation. And if you say, you know what, I'll be in charge of it forever, then that would be great. Or I'll be in charge of it and I'll make sure someone's assigned on a weekly basis. We would love that. Let me know. Don't contact Sarah. She's in the Teton Mountains right now on a well-deserved vacation. So three, four weeks ago, I don't remember, I asked you to put on pause a series that we started called the battlefield of temptation from Luke chapter 4 so I want you to push with me now again play as we re-enter into this series in part two of this of this series we're going to begin by reading Luke chapter 4 verses 1 through 13 Luke 4 verses 1 through 13 Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you're the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up 
to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. If you were like me, when you got up on Wednesday morning of this week and heard the final count of the children and adults, and I think there's another count as a husband who just died of a heart attack from losing his spouse there. If you're like me, you just, you just got up numb. You, you found yourself speechless. Speechless to the point is, how do I get words out to even pray? This is so huge. And it was a what, two or three weeks ago in Buffalo, New York. Ten precious lives were taken as they were shopping for groceries. Like, what, am I, what do I even say? Other than, other than like, what, what is going on? What possesses two 18-year-old could you even still say boys to do something like this? How do, you, how do you explain this? So many are trying to explain it right now. How do you fix it? So many are given solutions or suggestions of how do, you, how do you fix it? What's the root cause of it? And then all out of the conversation, and, and, and most of all, we really want to identify who is to blame. And so many, uh, so many are now using this as a, as a political opportunity to, to, in an accusatory way, cast blame across the aisle. And isn't it, isn't it interesting that one of these mass shootings occurred in New York, the state of New York, where this is probably politically one of the most liberal states in our nation. Then the other uh, shooting occurred in Texas, one of the most conservative states in our nation. Is it, is it, is it New York Governor Hochul's fault along with her liberal government leaders, is, that, is she to blame? Or is it Texas Governor Abbott's fault, along with his conservative, conservative government leaders, is, is he to blame 
Is it the Democrats' fault that this is happening? Is it the Republicans' fault that this happened? Is it Biden's fault that this happened? Is it Trump's fault that this happened? Is it Putin's fault that this happened? Is it the Chinese' fault that this happened? Is this the, the influence of the, of the Russians? Is this the fault of white people? Is this the fault of black people? Is this the fault of the male gender? And all this blaming and all of these accusatory fault-finding comments, even among children of God, followers of Jesus, it seems to do nothing more than create greater division and add further fuel to the fire. It seems only to touch the surface of the problem, failing to see beneath the surface. And it brings the light to the one who is behind it all, for he is ignored and left alone. Could it be that in these two stories and so many other of the stories that we have been seeing in our nation, could it be that there's a common denominator that is not bound by party platform nor by state boundaries and state laws? Could it be that there's a common denominator not bound by gender, race, ethnicity, or nationality? Governor Abbott of Texas stated these words, evil swept across Uvalde. John Garcia, the sheriff of Erie County, that's where the shootings occurred in Buffalo, New York, stated this was pure evil. Others have stated this is evil incarnate. And incarnate meaning a spiritual force, a spiritual being that takes on human form. I, I have no other way to adequately explain all that I see going on in our nation other than the explanation given to us by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 where he tells us our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Evil swept across Uvalde. And that evil has a name. And his name is the devil. This is what Luke is showing us and wants us to clearly see as we embark on this journey of following Jesus and being his disciples early on in Luke's gospel in church until we identify him as the culprit, until we identify him as the ultimate enemy, we will continue in vain to endlessly spin our wheels looking for solutions. Until we fight him, we will continue to fight one another and just fall directly, therefore, right into his trap. These recent events in our nation, and not just in our nation, but throughout the world, as we try to wrap our brain what is happening in Russia and the Ukraine, these recent events there and throughout the world and among children and among families, and even in churches, show us what I just read to you. This is real. These aren't just words on a page. This is relevant. This is incredibly serious.
what we see here in Luke chapter 4. And so it's a story that gives us an awareness of there's something else happening that you don't see, an awareness of a greater enemy. We gain an awareness of his strategy, and we gain an awareness of truths that help us figure out what can we do, how can we respond to this battle in part one of this series, we looked only, and that was like three weeks ago, at the enemy of temptation. And we looked at what this passage and other passages have to say about the devil, as he's called in Luke chapter 4. Before we enter into the battlefield of temptation in verses 3 through 13, which we're going to do next Sunday, I only want to focus on these first two verses with four important truths. They all start with an E to help me remember. Maybe it'll help you remember as well. They set the stage for the battle. I think first of all, I want us to notice what, we're, what I'm calling the environment of temptation. In this passage, you, you, really, you really want to pay attention to the timing of this attack that came upon Jesus. Ben, you need to pay attention. I think you're sitting over there. Right after Jesus was baptized is when this occurred. I heard someone say of the timing of this event, our highest moments are often followed by our deepest trials. When you make a decisive move, forward for God you can expect the fury of hell and I would suggest perhaps one of the greatest ways to avoid spiritual attack in your life is to do absolutely nothing to make no forward progress in your faith and thus you won't be a threat perhaps if you are going through hardships and and trials and temptations it could very well be could be a sign that you're moving in a good direction and somebody's trying to stop you. Also, of the environment of temptation, I think it's noteworthy to notice that, that we see that this occurred in the wilderness. Or some of the translations accurately could translate a desert. A word that means the solitary, a lonely, a desolate place, showing us that he attacks in places and times most often a vulnerability. Isn't it interesting that for 40 years the Israelites were attacked, they were tempted, they were tested in the wilderness and they failed miserably. Isn't it interesting that Jesus for 40 days was tested and tempted and he overcame showing it can be done. I think also of the environment of this temptation we see the relentless nature of the spiritual attack. At first glance, you might read this story as you were listening to it being read and think, okay, Jesus got hit three times, but actually it wasn't just being hit three times. Notice in verse 2, it says he was tempted for 40 days. And then we have like Satan coming out with his big guns. The enemy is relentless in his attack. That's the environment of temptation. But secondly, I notice here in this passage what I would call the example of temptation. 
And I think it's very interesting that we read in verses 1 and 2. Did you notice this? It says the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. And I'm thinking, and Jesus taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation. And the Holy Spirit's doing the very thing that we're supposed to pray that won't happen. And it happened. What's up with that? In Hebrews chapter 2, in verse 14, we read that Jesus, in sharing with us in our humanity, it says, he had to be made like us in every way. And then it goes on to show us one of those ways in chapter 4, that he was tempted in every way, just as we are. Thus, he is able to understand and sympathize with us when we suffer and are tempted. And so this is what Luke has been doing in the flow of thought in his gospel. He had He came to this earth and was born in chapters 1 and 2 and identified with us in human nature, in human form. In chapter 3, we saw how he identified with us through baptism. And so now Luke is showing us that he even identifies with us in our suffering and temptation. No one can say to God, you just don't understand way up there in heaven. He is indeed a sympathetic high priest in this moment. But then what's interesting, the Hebrew writer tells us that though he was tempted in every way just as we are, it says he did not sin. And some people are going, well, of course he didn't. He's the son of God. He had an a, a, a unfair advantage over us. I don't think he did. You might disagree with me on that. If Jesus had an advantage over us, he wasn't tempted, therefore, in every way, just as we are. I believe that by facing and overcoming temptation, as Luke shows us in this story, Jesus Jesus shows us an example of how it's done and shows us an example that it can be done. And so we see the example of temptation. But thirdly, we see a very difficult truth here, what I would call the expectation of temptation you kind of might have expected the devil to not mess with Jesus right he's the son of God it's kind of like he should be off limits but he wasn't and so you can be sure of this if he came after Jesus Christ he will come after you and then you might also think well at least after someone gets baptized, maybe, maybe God would put a protective shield over you. Not so. He fills you with the Spirit to empower you against the attacks. But the protective shield, understood in, in this context, is not there. Like it or not, God allows us to be tempted to be attacked by the devil expect it so you're not caught by surprise and this is really interesting Um, few weeks back we were in Luke chapter 22 and we saw this story where where Jesus said to Simon Peter one of his disciples he says Simon Simon Satan has asked to sift you as wheat that means Satan has asked come after you. Satan is asked to tempt you, to test you, to attack you. But Jesus goes on to say, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. You kind of might expect Jesus to say, Simon, Satan is asked to sift you as wheat. He's asked to attack you, but I told him absolutely not. You stay away from him. He's one of mine. 
But Jesus allowed it. And so if you know that story, that tells us that that moment in the courtyard wasn't just Peter and these people that were, being, that were coming after him that caused him to deny Christ. There was Satan and his forces actively at work attacking Peter and God allowed it. We see something very similar with the story of Job. Satan asked, and God allowed Satan to come after Job in a very, very devastating way. Not unlike some of the devastating stories we see in our news today. We see at the beginning of the Bible story that God allowed, he permitted Satan in the form of a servant, serpent, to be in the garden with Adam and Eve. Satan has, listen, no access, no liberty, no freedom without permission. But God permits this. God allows this. He did with Christ. He does with us. And that may trouble you. And that will probably send you home with a lot of questions. Deal with those in your life groups. I don't have time to answer all those today, but I've got them too. But I can leave you with this. An incredible promise. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, he tells us that whatever the attack is, whatever the temptation is, God will not allow it if it's beyond your capability to bear it and stand against it. And he will allow and, and give you all that is needed at your, disposable, at your disposal to endure and to stand firm in that temptation. So that tells us if you fall to temptation, you cannot say, I couldn't help it. But it was rather a choice, difficult as it may be, that you made in your life. Look, you can expect, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, you can expect flaming arrows. That's just, that's it. That's the real life we're in. They come from the evil one. We see these flaming arrows in Luke chapter 4 with Jesus. But Paul tells us we are given a shield of faith. But you got to pick it up. You got to use it. And so that's the expectation of temptation. And then finally, there is the empowerment of temptation. You, you, you want to pay attention to the mention of the Holy Spirit in this passage. I think if I look carefully or correctly, he appears three times. In chapter 4 and verse 1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, I mean, saturated with the Spirit. Jesus was led by the Spirit. And then in chapter 4 and verse 14, after this time of spiritual attack where you might read, and Jesus was just worn out. Instead, we read in verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Jesus' power to withstand and gain victory against the attack of the, of, of the evil one was a power given to him by the Holy Spirit. And I would suggest in this context that this power was enabled through, through two things that Jesus did. Through prayer and through God's word. I see Jesus in prayer as he fasted. He fasted here for 40 days. What is fasting? It is a laser-focused, intense time devoted to God. And though going 40 days without food, 
must make the body incredibly weak. Spiritual strength. This is not just in Luke 4. Spiritual strength and power come through prayer. They come through fasting. And so Jesus says to, to Satan in the midst of temptation in verse 4, man does not live by bread alone. We need more. There is something incredibly nourishing, incredibly sustaining, incredibly strengthening when you immerse yourself deeply into the presence of God, thus equipping you for battle. It's clear in Scripture that prayer and take it up to a intense level of fasting, they go hand in hand with the powerful working of the Holy Spirit. But I think there's also, we see that Jesus engaged the power of the Spirit through the Word of God, and we're going to see this next week in verses 3 through 13. Every time that Satan came after Jesus, Jesus was armed with Scripture. Jesus quoted Scripture. That was powerful for him in that very moment before he stepped onto the battlefield he was ready with the word of God in his heart and on his lips and so that's why the apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6 back to that passage again and it's given to in your life groups as a consideration for discussion in, in our warfare against the evil forces we are given the sword of the spirit I am convinced there is miraculous power in the verbal, verbally spoken word of God in the heat of temptation. And I think it's important to understand that this empowerment of Jesus in the midst of temptation is not only for Jesus, but you have the same power at your disposal as well. And that power in you, in us, is also enabled through prayer. And through God's word, knowing and speaking and living by God's words. And I say that because statistically speaking, among Christians, there is a growing negligence to the word of God. There's a growing biblical illiteracy. And there's a growing negligence to prayer in church that's setting us up for spiritual defeat. I heard someone recently say, this book, God's Word, this book will either keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. And so with these spiritual disciplines of prayer and time in God's Word in place, without them, perhaps I should say, without them, please understand you are a sitting duck for the attacks of Satan. Because I'm convinced of this, the Bible tells us his powers are much greater than yours on your own strength. You cannot manage this. But like with Jesus, there is the empowerment of temptation, I believe, through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So, the stage is set for the battlefield of temptation, and we will enter the battle next week. Our recent events are telling us we need to pay attention to this. This is real. This is relevant. This is serious. 
I have no other way to explain the events that I see in this world, in our nation, in our schools, in our homes, in our churches, than the activity of the evil one in our world, in our nation, in our cities, in our schools, in our families, in our marriages, in our individual lives. Nowhere and no one, not even children, are off limit. Lives are at stake. Seriously. Souls are at stake. Marriages are at stake. Churches are at stake. Nations are at stake. And it's, it's so huge. It's so overwhelming. What can I, as one person, do? You just feel helpless. And you feel hopeless. Well, the trending response by many is, especially about the two recent events, I'm sick of hearing about how our thoughts and prayers are with these people. We need more than thoughts and prayers. We need change. We need action. And the implication of those comments is someone else needs to do something. Others need to do something. Now, I'm going to say something that will offend some of you or it will at least be possibly misunderstood. Stay with me to the end. Listen, if we are waiting for our government to fix this with the changings of laws, this will never end. Sure, let's change laws. I am for that if it will work. I vote for that. And I see evidence, we see evidence that our voting indeed matters but that alone will only touch the, the surface for there is an unseen force of evil at work that is not restricted by our laws and that's where disciples of Jesus Christ come in beyond the changing of laws I'm not saying without them but beyond the changing of the laws there must be there must be the changing of lives and the changing of hearts one person at a time through the proclamation of God's people of the transformational power of the gospel of Jesus Christ church that's how we fight that's what we can do. That's what you can do, which will be far more powerful than telling others what they should do. You see, we are not only a defensive force against the attacks of the evil one. We are also an offensive force. And I believe that's what Jesus is getting at when he says that the gates of hell cannot prevail against the might of Jesus' church. And so let us go into our community and let us boldly storm the gates of hell with the love of God with the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ with the power of prayer and with the power of the spirit and the explosive message of the gospel releasing and setting free so many who are held captive in the trap of Satan for greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Would you stand with me as we pray?
Father, I, I, as you know, I don't have a prayer prepared. And I really don't even know how to get words from my heart to my mouth. Kind of like with Ben was baptized. It's just they're so huge. How do you, how do you express it? Raise us up, Lord. Raise us up and send us out. And help us to be a mighty force of light in this world of darkness. In Buffalo, New York, and in Valde, Texas, raise up followers of Jesus. Spirit-filled believers to be paracletes, to come to the side of these hurting and at the hurting, it's just such a small word. People who are grieving. Raise up your church to be a difference in this world. To be used by you. To bring about the change of lives. Help us to find these people who have such storms in their hearts that they would kill people. Help us to find them and bring Jesus to them. We raise up to you our, our nation's leaders as they wrestle with how, to, how best to respond and, and with their responsibilities. Give them wisdom, we pray. Thank you that you have armed us and empowered us to be stronger than these forces that work so hard against us. And so we will continue now in prayer and I'm going to ask that the shepherds of our congregation who are here today uh, step out to their seats and make themselves available for prayer and if you need prayer reach out to one of them and don't be shy about that and if you know someone here that's hurting that just simply needs a hug or needs your prayers I want to encourage you now to to go up to them let's go before God and offer this song to him as a prayer Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.